I am fascinated, intrigued, and honored you by may the have done what they said you did, but you they are magnificent, they marvelous. Are. You need to know that you're okay just the way you are. You succeeded in as a child. What you've been through matters. This podcast is designed for you. It's Love on a mission hope. in a world where human experience is lacking. My name is Ginger Wilk, and we're here to talk about that which matters. Welcome to That Which Matters. We have an exciting episode for you today on authority figures and those who are in leadership. And I know that it sounds like a very kind of boring or formal discussion that we're going to have, but it actually has a lot of layers to it that I think can help all of us to be able to reflect and move forward in situations in life. And the first thing that I want to mention is that you know, we all have to deal with authority figures. You can be 94 years old, you can be four years old, no matter what race, economic status, gender, whatever we are, we have to deal with people in authority. Jesus had to deal with people in authority. Um, we all are subjected to that, whether it's just going to CVS and having somebody decide that they are going to go back and take a look at our insurance again to make sure our prescription goes through or that they're going to actually give us uh, extra rice when we're at a restaurant or whether we're at motor vehicle and they're going to allow us to be able to register our vehicle with the documents that we have at hand. Uh, that to the higher level authorities of those that are, you know, in political positions or law enforcement or whatever the case may be, wherever we go, whatever we do, we're going to be faced with people who are in authority. And we have places in our lives and roles in our lives by which we are authority figures. So it's an important thing to take a look at. And I want you to think about the authority figures that you were around when you were a child growing up, because that's where we first get an understanding of what that really means. Our mothers, fathers, grandmothers, whoever raised us, foster parents, relatives, siblings, whoever raised us, they were given that ability to make decisions for us. They were the ones that were in a place of authority to decide what the rules are going to be in the household or what the structure is going to be, uh, who's going to come into the house, who's not allowed in the house, uh, what the flow would be and where there's a no or where there's a yes. And um, also in making decisions that impact other people that are in authority in our lives as well. And so when you think about those people, try to imagine what that picture is. Was it something that you respected? Did you respect the way that those caregivers kind of handled that authority? Did they abuse it? Did they neglect it and kind of pass it off like it wasn't important? Did they do it well? Did they run the household well? Did they provide a good example? Were they fair and just in the way that they handled the affairs of that household or uh, the, the interactions with the siblings or people on the outside? Were there a lot of secrets? Were things not really clearly kind of communicated where there's one set of rules for inside the house and another set of rules for what it's like when we talk to other people. Do we have like this fishbowl experience where people are looking at us one way, but it's really another way, whatever it is, it is our reality, right? And I will say this, I do not believe that there's one family that exists that doesn't have some level of dysfunction to it. So this is not about judging a household or trying to kind of rank 
that there's people that have, you know, much, much better, perfect experiences. Yes, there's dysfunction in every family, some much more than others, but there always is something that can be tweaked and changed, and every person in authority is going to make mistakes. And it's important for us to take a look at what our experiences were because it's shaped us. When I have done work with people who have been impacted by the criminal justice system, authority figures is a really important topic to broach with them because when they're trying to re-enter back into the community, if they don't have their issues resolved with authority figures, then they're going to have a really rough ride uh, in being able to sustain employment, in being able to handle some of the responsibilities that are given to them, or even just in getting their independence back. We all have to be able to deal with that, whether it's fair or unfair. And we certainly know that there's a lot of abuse of authority. More importantly, we have to try to figure out and navigate through how we can minimize the amount of issues that are there and we can start by assessing what our experiences are because they were shaped early in our lives. And then they were shaped by other authority figures, coaches and uh, teachers and pastors and people at the community centers, anybody in our lives around us that have had some sort of ability to make decisions for us have given us a view and understanding of what authority is. And for some people, it's been horrific. And so there's no trust at all for people that are in authority. There's something that has really been flawed in the minds of those that have had such negative experiences. Others have had great experiences, and maybe that's made people too trusting. Maybe there's the other end of the spectrum. But at any rate, I want you to think about that because your experiences early on have shaped what your views of authority figures are today. And that can still affect and impact our day-to-day -day existence even many, many years later. So when we think about the word or the concept of authority, it has a lot of mixed reactions to it. I, I actually looked up the definition and then I looked up a bunch of quotes. The interesting thing was that most of the quotes that I saw were really negative. They were reactions to people in authority who have kind of mishandled uh, the power that they had over that person or what they've done with somebody else, how they've handled somebody else. There were a lot of negative things that were out there. And that was kind of surprising to me because I was looking for inspirational quotes about leadership and authority figures. But I saw that there were a lot of issues there. And so there's a lot of mixed reactions when we mention this word. In fact, many of them were negative and we see that the understanding of this definition has really been very uh, clouded by experiences. So we all have to deal with people in authority. So in some ways, we have to be able to adapt to it. We have to be able to handle that going to a bank representative and asking them to waive overdraft fees means that that person has the authority to say yes or no to that. How are we going to handle it if it's a no? How are we going to handle it if, if it's a yes? Is it a sense of entitlement or is it a sense of, you know, gratitude and understanding? I know that you didn't have to do this and you extended this courtesy. Thank you very much for doing that. I'll be more careful next time. When we go to a restaurant and a hostess or host has to make a decision whether or not they're going to seat you because there's no reservation, right? That person doesn't have to seat you or seat me when there's no reservation. If they do do it, will there be expressed gratitude? If they don't do it, 
will there be grumbling or a sense of entitlement that comes out? So we have to take a look at the smaller and bigger ways that those in authority make decisions on our behalf and respect the fact that there are a lot of people who have made some really, really good decisions out of grace and people who have used their authority to be very negative or to kind of be vindictive. So what is the definition of authority? The definition of authority is the power or right to give orders, to make decisions, and to enforce obedience. So that tells us that there is an enforcement that people are going to have to follow in a certain area when they've been given authority over that particular area. And I do like the second definition because it says a person or organization having power or control in a particular sphere. That's a really, really important distinction. And in my last set of episodes about the unhealthy aspects of communities, we talked about the fact that some authorities in the unhealthy communities that we discussed, that there are people who are talking about and talking to, speaking into areas that they're not qualified to do that for. And that's an abuse of authority. Authority is having the power or control in a particular sphere. So what's important to note is that a police officer can do a number of things, for instance, order you away from a crime scene or a construction site, among other law enforcement activities, but they can't tell you how to raise your children or where you're going to work. It sounds silly, but abuse of authority is often relating to ways in which people are in a position of power and they begin to go outside of their designated sphere of influence. They start trying to enforce authority in an area where they haven't been given that sphere of influence, and that's important to note. For instance, your accountant cannot advise you on selecting a major in college. Authority is contextual. Remember that. It's contextual. It doesn't go across the board for all areas. It should not encroach on the other areas, and if it does, that's a red flag. So one perspective on authority that people tend to have is that this is a gift to me. When someone is promoted, when someone's given a uniform, a title, a plaque, whatever it might be, there's one perspective, which is that this is a gift to me. Now I have the ability to enforce authority on others. Now I have this clout. I have this power. And that is one way and not a healthy way that people look at authority. And so they look at it as if I've earned this title or I've earned this uniform, I've earned this office, this plaque, this nameplate, this region, this territory, this unit. And maybe there has been a real time of serving and, you know, going through the ranks. It, it doesn't mean that that person isn't entitled to be able to have that recognition and that promotion, but to have that view that, you know, now it's a gift to me, I've earned this, is going to, or to even to say I've got this clout, and with that is going to come respect. That's going to be a problematic area. That's going to be somebody that people are going to have a hard time following and where there's going to be an unhealthy atmosphere that will result. And so when I think about this, when I think about people walking around with this kind of puffed up view of the fact that they have this authority and they have this title and they are in this place of leadership. I think about the movie Braveheart. 
Now, Braveheart is literally my favorite movie ever, and it starred Mel Gibson. It's a historical drama film about a late 13th century Scottish warrior named Sir William Wallace, who led the Scots into the first war of Scottish independence against King Edward I of England. So it's based on a true story. Beautiful, beautiful movie. And at one point when Mel Gibson or William Wallace was trying to get the other people in authority, those in politics within Scotland, to be a part of what his mission was to try to get this independence. Uh, one of the politicians basically said, you know, was talking about the fact that, well, you know, titles are important. You know, basically you guys don't have titles. It, you have to kind of have this whole kind of going through the motion so that there can be an earned respect. And Mel Gibson says, men don't follow titles. They follow courage. And that is by far one of my most favorite quotes ever. Because the fact is, is that just because someone has a title does not mean that people are going to respect them. They might have to, but it doesn't mean that they're going to in reality. It doesn't mean that they're going to be inspired by them. It doesn't mean that they're going to follow them or that they're going to go to them when they don't need to. That's one good sign of somebody that is really wearing their authority well is that people trust and respect, and so they actually will seek them out for advice or counsel because they know that it's real and it's genuine. But when somebody acts courageously, when somebody has been through a, a crisis in their lives or has led people in being in the front lines and shown that they're available to be able to fight and advocate for their staff or for their congregation or for their family, when there is an act of courage that is performed, that's what people follow. And they do it willingly and voluntarily. And that's what I think about when I think about authority. I know for me, I want people to follow me because of my courage, not because of any title that I have. And so, you know, people might abide by their leader's instructions, right? They might react to a command, but when they see that leader do something that is noteworthy, where they engage in behavior or restraint or conversation that is noteworthy, when they advocate strongly, that's what's going to cause people to follow. Becoming a leader and a person in authority is actually not a very glamorous position if you look at it the right way. Those people that have really been in leadership positions for a while or have seen it from afar and really observed it will tell you there's not a lot of glitter that goes along with it. Whatever glitter is there, it's very few and far between that there is that recognition or where there is the applause or whatever one would think that they get by being an authority. Many, many times it's a very difficult thing and it can be sobering and deeply pondered when one is aware of the responsibility of guiding people in a loving, effective, and impactful manner. It's sobering. And another movie that is very, very just so inspirational is The Gladiator. And in The Gladiator, Russell Crowe plays a Roman general named Maximus who is reduced to slavery and becomes this gladiator after the emperor's son murders his father and takes over the kingdom. Before the emperor's death, he had a conversation with Maximus because he was dying. He knew he was dying. He was dying, but then his son murdered him earlier. But he knew that he was leaving the throne 
And he called Maximus to come in and speak to him. And the emperor said, I want you to become the protector of Rome after I die. Will you accept this great honor that I have offered? And Maximus pauses and says, with all my heart, no. And the emperor says to him, this is exactly why it must be you. And what that really depicts is that people that want power so badly, people that want titles so much so that they can't stop thinking about it are usually the ones that are not ready to take on the honor of really being in leadership and guiding people. Those that resist it because of the weight that it bears to be in that position are the ones that are more ready than the ones that will gladly run in and accept it. Maximus knew what it was like to lead battles because he was a commander of the army. He knew what it was like to have his troops bleeding on the battlefield. He knew what it was like to ask the troops to leave their families or to make difficult decisions. He wasn't thinking about a crown when the emperor asked him about this. He wasn't thinking about a treasure chest of jewels. He knew what saying yes would mean. And it was sobering, not flattering. And good leaders know the difference. When I think about local examples of leaders who demonstrated knowing the difference, I think about this. I think about Governor Ned Lamont, our present governor in Connecticut. And I think about what he was like during COVID. And by the way, my examples have nothing to do with a political affiliation on any side. These are examples of things that I have paid attention to, what I have noticed and seen beauty in. And Governor Ned Lamont during COVID was a consistent presence before the people in the state. I know that what I felt was that the whole world was falling apart around me and nobody knew what was happening, but he would have these meetings on Zoom twice a week. It might've even been every day in the beginning. I don't remember, but all I know is every time there was one, I logged on. And I know that I saw the face of somebody who had courage. He was going through a pandemic too. He was probably afraid of getting COVID too. He had family members that he was worried about as well. He is human, but in the middle of all of that, he stood up. He didn't pretend to know more than he did, but he stood there and gave people hope and gave people unity. He was transparent about what he knew and what he didn't know. He wasn't trying to be the authority on all subjects, but he relied on his team members and statewide professionals. Each time he would make sure that the right people who had the right information would answer the questions of the people. And if it applied to him, he would speak. He didn't need to be the one on the microphone all the time. He didn't need to be this solo leader that stood there. That would have been an illusion because he didn't have all those answers. He united the people. He improvised during tumultuous times. We all know that all of us had to improvise in some way during COVID and during this pandemic but he had to improvise with the knowledge that he was given and to stand there in very difficult times and to show his face when he could have very well been hiding or in isolation. He could have sent things out in emails, a myriad of ways he could have handled it, but he stood before the people and he projected courage. And that's why people followed. He led the people while being afraid. 
because true leaders will know that you have to stand in the face of fear, not pretend like you're not afraid, but you have to stand there while you're afraid sometimes to help lead people out of fear. And that's sobering. I think about Governor Daniel Malloy, uh, who preceded Lamont, and I didn't know very much about him. I, didn't, I wasn't really on the radar much during that time, but I did think about him during Sandy Hook, the tragic shooting that occurred in that elementary school that those of us in Connecticut will never forget, the world will never forget. But I know that he drove from Hartford to Newtown, Connecticut to assess the mass casualties. And in turn, he had to tell 20 families that their own child had been tragically murdered. That's not about a position where you're puffed up with pride, is it? It's not one where you wear a uniform and walk around with a proud chest that sticks out for people to see or where you flash a badge or flash a card or, you know, let everybody know what your title is. That long ride, an hour ride from Hartford to Newtown when he knew what had occurred and didn't even know what he was going to be walking into because he was walking into a place where there were local people that were already dealing with it, first responders that were already dealing with it. And to have to stand before those families and tell those family members that their child was not going to be coming home that day had to have been absolutely horrific. And one of his quotes was, it was one of the most meaningful things I did in my life, and it was certainly a very difficult moment. So he walked away from his time as the governor and called it one of the most meaningful times. And a true leader, a leader of courage, will always cite those times because it always comes back to the success is in being there for the people. To me, that's what's going to give me the greatest respect for a leader is the way they handle people, the way they love people, the way they acknowledge people, the way that they tune into who they are and what they're going through. Because what's the point of having authority and being a leader if the people that are under you are not acknowledged, are not loved, are not valued? So that's courage. That was an act of courage. There was nothing glamorous about going there. No telling. It was a trauma that must have been sustained by him, by all of the first responders. And there are no words to describe the impact on the victims and the victims' families. But that was a person in the time of trials and difficulties that stood up. I also think about the Sandy Hook tragedy with President Barack Obama. And I watched it again recently because I, I will never forget that speech. I, I will never forget sitting there on that particular day when it happened and having him come on live when we're still getting information. And he said, when I heard the news, I react not as a president, but as anyone else would, as a parent. And there's not a parent in America who doesn't feel the overwhelming grief that I do. And he said to everybody that was listening, wiping tears from his eyes, our hearts are broken today. And that was the president. The president could have said anything. There could have been any type of a reaction. But he chose to say our hearts are broken. He chose to speak as somebody who was a parent, a human, whose heart broke. And that's why people followed. I also think about something a little bit more 
uh, done in kind of some anger and reaction. I think about the Prime Minister of New Zealand, formerly Jacinda Ardern, in reference to a terrorist attack that occurred in March of 2019 against a mosque in Christchurch, New Zealand. And when they found out that there had been an attack and they found out who it was, she spoke directly to the attacker via the media and said, you may have chosen us, but we utterly reject and condemn you. And she spoke courageously and she would not dignify him by mentioning his name. That's courage. That's courage because being a leader is also about the bravery against advocating and against coming against the enemies of the people that you serve. And so when I think about people who are in authority, I think about that. I think about those that will stand and go to bat for others that will be in situations and circles where, where they will see that they have influence that somebody else might not. There might be people that are out there that can't speak up for themselves or they don't know how to speak up for themselves and they'll use their authority to be able to do just that. And so I want to change kind of the view when we think about authority. I'm going to be doing another episode and it's going to focus on a whole new view of not having authority be a gift to us when we're in a leadership position, but having us understand that we have a gift as a person in authority to give to others, to show that it is the ability to impart to others in a very, very impactful way, if we will think of it that way, if we will get past the puffed up mentality of what it really means, if we can get past those that have wronged us or those that have misled us or those that have worn their titles in a way that has turned us off or caused us to mistrust, but where we can kind of look at authority in a completely new way. And so when I think about those examples, there's so many more. I mean, we can go through the history. We can talk about Rosa Parks and what she did on that particular day because she was sick and tired of being disregarded sick and tired of being treated like a second-class, third-class citizen. But in the midst of her standing up for herself, she became a hero, and she became somebody that had authority over others, and still to this day does, through the words and the story of what occurred. I mean, we can talk about so many people through time that have done heroic things that have been people of influence that have then had authority, because authority, true authority, not authority that's passed on to us because of a title or whatever the case may be. True authority comes to us through our own experiences and having gone through battles that we have been able to get to the other side of or understanding those that have gone through battles and responding in such a way where we have been able to bring life and hope to people and where we've been able to cause there to be value in places where other people are ignored or neglected. And so I really want to challenge you to do some reflections on authority figures in your life. It's a homework assignment that I want you to really think about. I've thought about it in my own life. I've given this to other people to reflect on because I want our definition of authority to change dramatically. And I want us to be able to see 
like I showed in those specific examples everywhere where you can recognize authority that draws you in, that inspires you, and not authority that causes you to want to crawl into a hole and to step away or to disobey or to rebel or whatever the case may be, to really be able to see the truth and the genuineness that comes with somebody that stands in authority. And so tune in next time for the second part of this episode. And thank you so much for listening. In collaboration with IML Productions, this has been your host, Ginger Wilk, with That Which Matters. Thank you for listening.